John, stand this morning as we worship together.
pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we just ask this morning that you would give us your hope, your peace, your grace. God, we ask that you would be with us as we have gathered here to worship. God, that you would just continue to lead and guide us. God, there have been days of great struggle, days of hardship and uncertainty, God, but we are thankful that no matter what is going on around us, no matter the circumstances that we face, God, we know that you are in control, that you're greater than all, above all. And God, we give you praise that we have comfort in the midst of great difficulty and trial. We thank you that you love your children, that you've called us by your name, and you've given us hope. God, we just pray that in the days ahead we would remain focused on you, the purpose that you have for our life, the mission that you have set before us. God, that we would be found faithful to you, that we would be faithful above all. That we would obey your word. And that, God, we would follow you wherever you would lead us to go. God, we pray this morning for the people around us who are suffering. Those who are hurting, those who are uncertain because of all the circumstances they face. God, we pray that, that we would be light in the darkness. That we would show them that ultimate hope is found in you and you alone. God, we pray for those in our church who have been sick. God, we just ask that you would bring about healing in their life. God, that you would give them comfort from their affliction. and That, God, they would know, they would know that they belong to you. And, God, that would be greater than all their fear. God, we pray for our nation, a nation that desperately needs you, a nation far from you. 
God, full of people far from you. God, we pray that people would turn from their sin, that they would believe your truth, and that, God, you would heal their heart. Lord God, help us. Help us to be a light in darkness. And we pray this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Sending 
king that came back, Father God, mighty to save, and not in the way that your people expected, Father God, but in so much of a better coming, Father God, a way that not only freed the Israelites, Father God, the Jewish people, but it freed the entire world, and not from the shackles of an unrighteous government, Father God, but from the shackles of sin. Father God, what a redeemer. And we just thank you so much, Father, for giving us an opportunity that sin, once and for all, was defeated. No longer are we shackled, Father God. No longer are we chained. But that we are free. Father God, this morning we pray that you would continue to work inside of us. That these things of the world, Father God, that so often distract us would be removed, and that we would be able to focus on your will for our lives, Father God, that there would be a perfect picture set out for us, that we would have clarity and know what it is that you want for us in our lives, Father God. Give us ears that we can hear this morning, and let your words impact our souls and our lives. Let us be the change this community needs, the change this world needs around us. Father God, because we recognize that there are so many opportunities that we let pass. So, Father God, we pray this morning that you would give us eyes open, that we would see those opportunities for your kingdom, and that we would not let them go void. Father God, we love you and we worship you. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Again. So Jeremy, was I on when we were singing? I appreciate that. So does everyone listening on Facebook and everyone here in person and everyone everywhere appreciate that you didn't listen to me singing. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 5. I hope you had a a good Thanksgiving. Um, it's such a, an oddity in the times we're in. Uh, a, a holiday that is um, most often thought of with our gathering together and um, celebrating the year with family. And of course all over the country there were uh, a number of political leaders who had encouraged people or even threatened people not to meet um, for Thanksgiving, which is such an oddity. And uh, the hope uh, was to uh, preserve people's uh, safety. Uh, but uh, as I was reminded of uh, last week in a, a series of, of pictures that I saw online of a particular group of people that, that got together uh, each Thanksgiving uh, this year's picture uh, around their table included one less person than had been there the year before. And they had replaced that person who had passed away with a picture of that person at the table. And it was a reminder that um, we don't know what lies ahead. And in everything we do, I would encourage you uh, to cherish uh, each moment. Uh, because for that particular family, that was a reality for them this year, is that Thanksgiving uh, would not be the same. And so I hope that you were able, uh, whether it was distanced or um, Zoomed or whatever you did with your family, I hope that you got to cherish that time together. Uh, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 5 this morning, Acts chapter 5. 
We're not going to go quite as far as I think is in the bulletin, so Mason, if you'll note that, I'm going to end in verse 16, so you can stop there. It's probably more loaded up than that. Um, This morning is one of those texts that is, I think, a, a particularly difficult one, and I think it is one that would often be skipped over. Uh, I think it is one that is hard for us to reckon with, and uh, no doubt it should be. Uh, That is the purpose of it. We are, I would say most of us, if you've been in church um, for most of your life, you are uh, familiar with this particular part of the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. Um, It's one that we sometimes tell to uh, stir a little bit of fear into our children Uh, And yet it should be one that stirs some fear into our heart as believers. Because we deal with in this particular passage how serious God is. I was online just a little while ago and there was a a picture that someone had posted uh, from a church service. And I'll not repeat uh, what was on the screen because I found it to be quite distasteful. And yet it was... Um, discussing or asking the people there at church to consider a particular situation they would rather be in uh, that involved um, some very personal things with with uh, a trip to the restroom I guess would be the the most proper way to put it and yet it was much more crass than that and quite inappropriate in general but certainly inappropriate for church And we live in a time when people have simply become casual with church. They become casual with their relationship with God. You'll find this morning that there are probably people gathered in places where they're going to be very casual about what it means to follow God. It's not that big a deal. It's just something you tag on to the rest of your life. Or or God is your buddy. God is your pal. And so it's not really that big a deal what you do. How you live is not really important to God. He's not really concerned about that. He loves you and he's your cheerleader and he's your your great champion who's, who's rooting you on and he's for you and all of these lines that we throw around but we don't really think about their meaning. But then we come to Acts chapter 5. And I would say that if you are one of those who thinks about God being a cheerleader, you probably don't come along to Acts chapter 5 and think about its implications. If God's just your buddy and he really doesn't care what you do, he's just there to hang out with you and, and make you feel happy, he's like a genie in a bottle, you probably skip over Acts chapter 5 because it's problematic to that view of God. A view of God where God demands obedience. A view of God where God is holy and anything before Him that is unholy is to be rejected. It may seem simpler to have God as as our buddy and our pal. But the reality is that we, we desperately need God to be the holy creator of the universe that He is. Modern theology has tried to make God more consistently like us. But God is quite different than we are. He is all-holy and all-powerful and all-knowing, and we are not. And that is something, as we have just come through Thanksgiving, that we can certainly be thankful for. God is greater than we are. And so this morning, I want us to think about the idea of obedience as we read these verses together. And I want to invite you, if you're able this morning, to stand with me as we read Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it then that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and a great fear came upon all of those who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in in Solomon's portico. None None of the rest of them dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people who gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing in the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You may be seated. We see two things taking place here, two things that are in contrast to one another in these passages. We think about the end of last week's message. We saw that this this pattern began to emerge where people would take the proceeds of things that were sold and bring them and lay them at the apostles' feet. Verse 34 of chapter 4 tells us there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And we see an example of a man in verse 36 of chapter 4. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, And brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There was something taking place here where the people were ensuring that everyone was taken care of. There was no one in the church who had a need. And when there was someone who had a need, it was met by the church. They had all things in common. There was great grace upon them all. God is working in the church. But these two people that we are introduced to in chapter 5, they wanted to have the recognition that came with obedience, but they did not want to obey. The obedience is that when we have made a commitment to God, as they had made a commitment to God, and they they came in in the way that everyone else had come in, and they, they laid part of what they had sold it for at the apostles' feet, but not everything. They brought only part of it, and they brought it in. They acted in front of everyone as if they were doing what everyone else was doing. This was a part of who the church was, that they would take care of those in need, and so they wanted to to look good in front of everyone, but they did not want to obey what they had committed to obey. Sin, sin can be persistent, even in the community of faith. Sin does not go away once we have come to Christ. We still struggle with sin and fight with sin. Sin is still a reality in our lives. And sin had become persistent in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to go before the people. They wanted the recognition as Barnabas had received. 
But they did not want to make the sacrifice necessary to receive that recognition. They did not want to make the sacrifice that was necessary to obey God. Others were doing this. Others were coming in and they were selling land and they were laying the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. They were, they were giving the proceeds to the church so that the church could take care of its own. They wanted to look like they were being a part of what was going on, but instead they, they only wanted to give part of themselves. We're told that Ananias did this and he did so with his wife's knowledge. They had conspired together to keep back a part of this for themselves. And yet when they showed up and they laid it at the apostles' feet, they wanted it to look as if they were making a great sacrifice for the church. Now they could have been honest about this up front. Peter reminds him, when the land belonged to them, it was theirs. They could have done with it as they chose. When they sold it, they could have kept the proceeds. But when they came before God, and they came before the apostles, and they had this money that they had collected, they made an attempt to deceive everyone that was there. They made an attempt to deceive the fellowship. They made an attempt to deceive God. But that's not how it works. This property was sold for God, but only part of it was actually given to God. And what they did not remember, or at least what they did, they did not seemingly understand, is that all sin is always visible to God. And so no matter if, if no one there had ever known Peter knows because the Spirit of God tells him, but, but let's say they had walked in and they had sold this land for $1,000 and they brought in 500 and they laid it before the apostles' feet and said, here it is. Even if everyone there had been deceived, even if everyone there had thought they had done such a great thing by bringing this money to God, the reality would have been that sin, that sin and every sin, would have been visible to God because it always is. And so they desired glory without obedience. For them, as theologian Daryl Bach says, manipulating their reputation, in other words, to make themselves look better, was more important than their allegiance to God. How often is this the case for us? Don't we naturally want to look better than we really are? Don't we naturally like to appear better to others than we really are? Even if we consider ourselves to, to be the type of person that is transparent to others, that they can see our life, Maybe there are parts of our life that, that we live that are worth imitating, and, and so we want others to see those, or, or there's, there's things in our past, there have been struggles that we have endured, and, and we want people to know about those because that, that helps them. In the end, we want people to believe the best about us. We put on the best face possible. We want people to think that we've got it all together. You know, the age of social media has really aided this problem. Because how often do you see or hear that someone's going through something terrible or someone, you know, they out there gets arrested or, or they have some major uh, life-altering altercation with someone and you go on their social media and, and you look and you just see all of these positive pictures I do this when, when I see news things around us happen and I, I see that someone was arrested or, or in our community someone was killed or something like that and, and you read the story, I like to go and look and see what was the, the perception that people had of them if they looked at them online. And we post the best pictures. Or, or if we don't post the best pictures, this is the one I love, we'll, we'll post a picture about how messy our life is, but we do it because we want people to see that and think more highly of us. 
it's not really a picture about how messy life is to be more transparent. It's simply to receive honor for ourselves. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. They desired the glory that they would receive if they take this offering and lay it before the apostles' feet. But they want to do so without the obedience that is required to receive proper glory. They want to receive the glory without obeying. And friends, I fear that too often we are there. We want to put on the best face. We want things to look the best. We want people to believe that we have everything all together. But we actually want to do all of that without the obedience that God has called us to. We want to look like the best Christians without actually living the life that Christ has called us to live. And what happens when they do so? Peter says, verse 3, they come and they lay it at the apostles' feet. And you would think this is the point where you're going to get patted on the back. It's interesting how it's worked out for them because now they're going to be able to get the glory twice. Ananias is going to bring the offering and he'll get his pat on the back. But then later on when everybody's heard about it, then Sapphira will come in, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, you can be modest about it, and she'll get her pat on the back. But that's not what happens. Verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? You know, it's almost like everything is going too well. If you think about the first four chapters... Everything is going awesome for the church. Right? Jesus has given them the Great Commission. The Holy Spirit has come. They have healed a man. They have preached boldly as they had asked. It's pretty amazing, right? Everything's going really well. And it could be easy to think that that's how everything is going to go. But just as in Jesus' ministry, things were going really well. Everyone was excited. Jesus was a rock star. But then Satan began to influence the people around him. Satan influenced the life of Judas. Satan influences the religious leaders. Satan influences the political leaders. Everything is going so well in the church. They had prayed God. God, stretch out your hand to heal and give signs and wonders. And the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. How great that is. The church is so perfect. Except Luke wants us to be careful in understanding that it was not. That church is messy. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You said you sold this to God, but now Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Sin was crouching at the door of the church. And here... One of the members, one of those who had been at the point where, where they saw all things being in common, one of those who had been greatly moved by the preaching of the gospel, now comes and has Satan filling his heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. It's where he tells him in verse 4, while it remained unsold, it was yours. After it was sold, the money was at your disposal, but you brought it here you brought it here and disobeyed God. You brought it here. Why is it, he says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When he heard these words, in fact, the, the language here in, in the original language is, is this idea of as these words are being said, as these words are being heard. Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his 
last. The deception that Ananias has given to the apostles is met with judgment. Great fear came. We'll we'll see that more than once. Great fear came upon all who heard this. And his allegiance to himself has cost him his life because God will not be mocked. Now often in the the Bible when we see God's judgment, it is delayed. We understand that that God's judgment is coming upon all of the earth, but it, it is being delayed. God is holding back his judgment now for a time. But we understand as each day passes, that time is running out. And Ananias experiences that judgment immediately. And it served as a warning for the church that God would not be mocked. God would not be lied to. God was serious about obedience and holiness. And so young men rose that are there, that have watched what has happened. They wrap him up, they carry him out, and they bury him. And while typically a burial would take place the same day someone died, it was typically not this fast. And yet it is immediate because of the sin that this man had in his life. But then three hours pass, and his wife came in, and she is unaware of what has happened. And Peter says to her, he gives her the opportunity to fix the mess. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But verse 9, and Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? She doesn't say, I I don't know how much we sold it for. I, I don't get involved in those things. I'm not aware you'd have to ask my husband. No, she is part <coughs> excuse me, of the conspiracy. She has planned with her husband to deceive. And we're told that, that when she agrees with the question, how is it, and this is a rhetorical question, how could you, if you will, how could you have agreed together? How could you do this? Immediately, we're told in verse 10, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out. They buried her beside her husband. It's a reminder that the sin that started with a discussion between a husband and wife, a discussion about What are we going to do with this money? A discussion that that was a part of a deception. It continued on into a lie before the apostles and before God. It's a reminder to us that sin always begets more sin. When we are entrapped in sin, when we continue in sin, it only grows we think about this when it comes to lying. If we, if we tell a little lie, a, a small lie, it's not a big deal, right? If we tell a, a small lie to someone to kind of get us out of a situation, but we, we find that those lies have to grow to continue the deception and the lie. Sin begets more sin. And so God removed the sin from their midst. He removed the sin from the church. He judged the sin harshly. Friends, we need to understand that sin has grave consequences. And and just because every time we sin, we don't simply fall over dead like Ananias and Sapphira, it does not mean that God's judgment on sin is not coming. It is His graciousness toward us that holds off His judgment even a moment longer. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden. What are they told? If they eat of this tree, they would surely die. 
And Satan's lie is that, that you will not die. You're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to be like him, but you're not going to die. But the reality is they did die. And death was the punishment for their sin. But God was gracious even to Adam and Eve. He held off on that judgment, on that punishment for a time. If he had destroyed them then, in that moment, friends, we wouldn't be here. We think about Noah, again, continuing on in the book of Genesis. God was angry at the world. He was angry at the sin. He was angry at all the people who had turned their back on him. But he did not judge them immediately. He gave Noah and his family time to build an ark where humanity would be rescued. But friends, here God's judgment is immediate. Sometimes that's how it happens. Sometimes sin has immediate consequences. Sometimes they are delayed. But we cannot lose sight that God judges their heart and He punishes those who are in sin. Let us be aware of this in our own life. Let us be aware of our sin and troubled by our sin and convicted of our sin. Let's not let it persist in our life because what does it do? It disrupts the fellowship and the work of the church. It was a disruption as they lied. They lied in deceiving the fellowship. And friends, lying and sin and deception have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. So we see, we see they desire the glory without the obedience. But we see a contrast take place in the last verses of the section. We've seen Ananias and Sapphira and their deception. But now, from here, beginning in verse 11, we see the apostles pursuing obedience despite the temporary dangers. As we remember back into chapter 4, Peter and John had been told not to preach anymore. They had been told to no longer preach in the name of Jesus. But they had prayed for boldness. And that's exactly what we see happen beginning in verse 11. <coughs> Excuse me, we're told in verse 11, a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things, talking about Ananias and Sapphira dying. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done by the people, or among the people by the hands of the apostle. So, so Ananias and Sapphira, they desire glory, but they don't want to obey God. The apostles decide that they are going to obey God no matter what happens. They are going to obey God no matter what comes about in their life. They're going to obey God no matter the threat that comes upon them. So what do they do? Verse 12, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now they were all together talking about the apostles in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. So even the, the church there did not want to, to go where the apostles were going because they were afraid. But the people, the people watching, held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. What happens? The contrast. Ananias and Sapphira, they get together. Satan fills their heart. Their decision is, let's deceive the apostles. Let's not obey God. Let's give them part of what we've committed to give them. What is the apostles' response? They go and publicly proclaim the truth. They obey God. And they do so despite potential consequences. The apostles pursue obedience despite the temporary danger. Why would we say temporary danger? What is the worst that could have been done to them? The worst is they could have been arrested, they could have been tried, and they could have been killed. You say, well, that sounds pretty bad. 
Well, last I checked, we're told in Scripture, if we live, we follow Christ. If we die in Christ, it's gain. Ananias and Sapphira disobeyed God, and they died right there and were carried out and buried. The reality is for us that, that life is temporary to begin with. Life is only a moment to begin with. Life is only a vapor to begin with. And so any danger that they might have faced was temporary. But the rewards that they received would be eternal. The Lord rewards their obedience. What happened? Verse 14, more believers than ever were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Because they were obedient, many come to know Christ. Because they were obedient, many are healed. We have this contrast between a couple that, that wanted to look good and wanted everybody to like them and wanted to appear holy and a group of men who went and stood in Solomon's portico in a public place and proclaimed the truth. The apostles pursued obedience even though it could be difficult and even though it could be dangerous. And the Lord rewarded their obedience. So much so that the people even carried the sick out into the streets. They, they believed so much in the preaching of the apostles. They believed so much in the authority of the apostles that they wanted to get people in the place where Peter's shadow might fall on them so that they would be healed. People were coming from outside the city, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Now think about this. This, this next wave, if you will, of people coming to Christ happens because God strikes down two people in the midst of the apostles. A lot of us might hear that story and never want to go around the apostles again. But the preaching of God's word was so powerful, the message of God was so powerful that it drew people in even from cities outside of Jerusalem so that they could come and have their sick healed, those afflicted with unclean spirits to be healed as well. God rewarded their obedience. So here's the challenge before us this morning. We must obey Christ. We must obey Christ. And we must obey Christ no matter what happens. No matter what the threat is, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the difficulty is, our calling, our responsibility is to obey Christ. Friends, too often we are just playing a game. It's like that image put up on the screen asking about your bathroom habits. Friends, that's, that's just that's playing at church or something. I don't even know what it is at that point. It's entertainment. It's fun, I guess. But the reality is it's, it's an attempt at glory without obedience. It's an attempt at recognition without obedience. It's wanting something from God. It's wanting something from the church, but not being willing to obey God and His commands. And friends, that's what so many people want. I think I mentioned this in the service last week. It's, it's these surveys that happen across the United States all the time where, where a high number of people identify themselves as Christians, but when you begin to ask what they believe, you find that they do not believe what Christians believe. They want to have Christ, but they don't want to adopt the biblical worldview that comes along with following Christ. They want the glory, they, they want to have some connection with community and, and maybe some connection with the church, and so many now are only doing that remotely and will never do it any other way than remotely. 
Friends, the virus will be a footnote in history books and people will still be sitting at home thinking that they have church, thinking that they're following Christ. They desire glory without obedience, but the, the apostles, the early church, pursued obedience despite the risk, despite the temporary danger. And friends, that must be us this morning. We must commit ourselves to obeying Christ no matter what. Obeying Christ no matter what comes. Obeying Christ no matter what the consequences are. Obeying Christ even when there is no glory, when there is no pat on the back, when there is no recognition. We commit ourselves to obeying Christ. So this morning, as you leave this place, is the commitment you have one of the apostles and I'm going to go and I'm going to proclaim the truth. I'm going to stand upon it no matter what. Or is your commitment closer to Ananias and Sapphira? I've got a little bit I'll give to the Lord. Or I want people to think that I'm really devoted to my faith, but it's not really that important to me. I post Bible verses on social media, but I, I live like the devil the rest of the time. I say that I'm a Christian, but if I was standing trial for it, there'd be no evidence. Which is it this morning? A decision must be made, and the calling on the life of the Christian is to obey Christ. Which will you decide? Will you obey His Word? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace toward us. We, we thank you that you love us and care for us, that you've given us hope and peace and grace. We, God, we just ask that, that we would obey you. God, that you would, you would help us to obey you. God, that, that you, would, you would direct us by the power of the Spirit. When we are being disobedient, God, that you would call us back, that you would direct our paths. God, help us not to look for the glory of man or even the glory of the church, God, but let us pursue obedience toward you. God, let us obey your word. God, help us. Help us where we fall short. Help us where we are tempted by Satan. Help us where we fall into sin. Help us. God, help us where we seek our own glory instead of yours. God, I pray that you would lead us as we have this time of invitation. God, for each one here who's, who's not following you as they should, God, I pray that you would call them back. Those who have been putting up a, a false front where they, they look like they're doing good, they look like they're doing well, but, but they certainly aren't. God, I just pray that you would tear that down and help them to pursue obedience. God, I pray that you would lead and guide our hearts. That you would speak to us through your word. And that we would obey. As we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. We have this final song. I just pray that you'll respond to God's word. The, the choice is clear. Either we pursue our own interests and do our own thing and seek our own glory. Or we obey him and him alone. You must decide. We all must decide. And I pray you would as we sing this song. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to saith the So glad.
Thank you for coming to worship with us, and uh, just um, I hope and pray that as we go, that we would see the great need we have to obey Christ. What a serious thing it is to follow God. What a serious thing it is to be a Christian. And I hope that we would never be flippant with it, that we would, we would never just think that it is no big thing, that it's just some part of our life like every other thing is that that God is one of many things that we follow because we are called to follow him and him alone we are called to obey him knowing that as we obey him his work changes the world and that when we do not obey him then we are in sin and that does not please God but the good news for us this morning is that when we are in sin we are called by Christ, we have been changed by the power of the blood of the cross. And that is truly the good news. And so we go from here this morning, empowered by the Spirit, to obey God's Word. And so I pray that we will do just that. I want to encourage you to continue to pray for one another in the difficult times that we have been having. Pray for those who have been sick. I know they would appreciate that so much. And continue to share hope to people who are far from God. also want to ask you this morning before we pray that if, if you have a few minutes, if you could stay and uh, help out uh, as we get a few things into the sanctuary uh, to decorate the sanctuary for Christmas. Um, it's, it's crazy, but Christmas is here. And uh, uh, a new year, we're all hoping 2021 is different. And so, uh, and so Christmas gets us there. And so uh, if you've got a few minutes, if you could help uh, just carry a few things down here uh, to into the sanctuary from upstairs, and then you'll be free to go. So let me pray. Uh, we'll get that done, and then uh, I hope you have a blessed week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you uh, that you love us and you care for us. Thank you. Thank you that your judgment has been delayed. That when we first sinned, God, you didn't destroy us. That when we sinned last, you didn't just destroy us. But rather, you give us great grace through Christ. And it's grace we rejoice in. It's grace we are thankful for. God, your mercy is new to us every morning. And we are thankful for your faithfulness. Lead and guide us as we go. Help us through the power of your spirit to obey your word so that we can be light in a dark world. We thank you for sending Christ that through his death we have hope and we have life and we pray that you would help us to shine his light into the world. The light of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.